Episode 48 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Joshua Maddox. I'm currently a seaplane captain for Tropic Ocean Airways flying an amphibious uh, Cessna Caravan. Avi Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin and I am your host. Today I am talking with Joshua Maddox and as you heard in his introduction, he is a seaplane pilot for Tropic Ocean Airways. I've never had a seaplane pilot on here before and I'm so excited for you guys to hear his story. And Josh just has a great story about where he came from, how he went to a community college to do training 61 style, then he transferred Embry-Riddle. So he has both knowledge aspects of either 141 and 61. And then we also find out what Embry-Riddle is like. It's the first person I've talked to that has gone to Embry-Riddle. We don't get too deep into what Embry-Riddle is as we were a bit on a time crunch as we can't have three hour episodes here. But we do have some great information here. Joshua and I actually flew together in Omaha, Nebraska, flying UPS. So you hear some pretty interesting stories about us chasing thunderstorms or trying to beat thunderstorms in uh, aviation. Some of the things Josh and I specifically talk about are why Josh decided to become a seaplane pilot. What a day in the life of a seaplane pilot entails. How to become a seaplane pilot. Find out the things pilots struggle with when making the switch from fixed gear to seaplane. And we find out how many trips a day a pilot will fly when they fly for Tropic Ocean Airways. Aviation, as always, if you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let me know by either emailing me, reaching out to Pilot the Pilot on Instagram, or you can check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. We also just created a Discord. Discord is, think of it as a forum. So go ahead and sign up through there. On my Instagram page, you can click on the Discord highlight. You can swipe up and it's an invite that will last forever. Go ahead and join the conversation there. I'm gonna be doing some cool things there where I'm gonna be doing Ask Me Anythings where I'll be answering your questions as you ask them to post podcasts about them. I also have Patreon specific rewards for Discord members and Patreon members where we have special chats where you can ask me anything and where I'll be on there more often than I will be on the normal forum. But go ahead and check that out. Make sure to swipe up on my Instagram and find out more about that. But Aviation, without further ado, I want to go ahead and get started with Joshua Maddox. What's going on, Josh? Thanks for coming on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm no problem. Uh, really excited we can finally finally get this worked I out. I know, man. It's been about a little over a year now since we used to fly the same <laughs> UPS run in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, good old Nebraska. Yeah, that was uh, some interesting flying out there, that's for sure. Yeah, dodging uh, dodging thunderstorms and flying queen bees in caravans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was worse, the thunderstorms or the bees. It was, it was a little weird, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, thanks for having me on. This no is, problem, uh, man. Really excited to do this. Yeah, I've been wanting to get you on for a while just because, as we talked about before, we weren't recording them, but it was uh, just... How you are a seaplane pilot and you want to be a seaplane pilot, and I just would love to hear about why you chose that route, and we'll get into that a little bit later. First, I want to talk about just why you became a pilot in general. Like, what was the original inspiration for you to become a pilot? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, as a kid, my my grandfather always had uh, access to a 172, so I can remember you know going to visit my grandparents. And uh, that was one of the things that, that we would always do. We'd go flying around in his little 172. And uh, I just always thought that it was so cool that my granddad could go to the airport. He'd get through the gate. We could walk around the hangars and he'd introduce me to all of his pilot buddies and everything. I just as a as a, you know, young kid, you know, five or six years old, that was just to me, that was the coolest thing in the world. And then to be able to get in this thing and we'd fly somewhere different and have lunch and then come home. Uh, it was just, it was an unbelievable experience. So from that first flight with my granddad, I was, I was hooked. It's all I ever wanted to do. Oh, that's awesome. What, uh, how old were you when you did that? Did you say, um, I, I want to say it was about five or six years oh, old, dang. uh, would be the first memory that I have. You know, we, uh, we were, he was always a pilot. Mm -hmm. So I was always at the airport and going to air shows with him, but that's really the first real memory that I have of us. Uh, us flying together that's cool when uh how old were you when you started actually training i was 23 okay. i think before i started i had done a couple of um introduction flights and discovery flights and things like that um but uh honestly i just i really felt like flight training was out of my reach financially yeah um so uh, and then eventually i just got to a point where i said you know what forget it 
like this is all I've ever wanted to do. And uh, I just took out a bunch of loans and got it done. Yeah. Would you say, like, what would you say to someone? Because I feel like that's a common theme in aviation. It's like, man, I would love to be a pilot, but it's just so much money. What eventually like triggered you to say, hey, I just need to go for it. Like, I just need to, to go call someone, get some money, get a loan and go make it happen. Was there like a, did you have an aha moment or was it a, like a just let up over the time? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of a, a mixture of, of both. Um, I was in school. I really wasn't um, enjoying what I was learning. I was in college, not really enjoying the classes that I was taking. Wasn't really excited for for the field that I was going into. Um, so after doing that for about two years, I just one day I decided that I was going to look into it and and see if I could make it happen. And um, you know, I guess what I would say to people that think that maybe financially it's it's out of their grasp is, um, you know, look and see what it, what it means to you. For me, it was all I ever wanted to do. So I eventually got to a point where I said, why am I spending all this time and money on a degree that I don't care all that much about when I could take that money and spend it on something that I really do, that I'm truly passionate about. And if I can make this thing work, then I'm never going to, I'm never going to have a job a day in my life. Right. Like I will go, I will go to work every day, happy doing what I'm doing. Even if you're flying um, Omaha, Nebraska, flying 3000 pounds of queen bees, <laughs> <laughs> even if I'm flying in Nebraska, dodging thunderstorms yeah. with, a, with a cabin full of bees. I mean, uh, it was, uh, even those, those experiences, you know, they were a blast. Yeah. Was it, was it, uh, what I thought it would be whenever I was in flight training and having these big dreams? No, but, I mean, it, it's great experience. And, uh, hey, I got to meet you out there. Right. So I, <laughs> I got nothing bad to say about right. it. Right. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting career. And you can't really prepare yourself for the <laughs> the things that lay ahead of you once you get your licenses and your ratings and stuff. So you never know what's going to happen. And that's just aviation. That's just what it is. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole industry is is very dynamic. And you kind of have to just roll with it and and as much as you want to do one thing, you, in a way, you kind of have to go where the industry leads you once you start looking for jobs and things. Definitely. Um, so staying open-minded is a, is a huge thing as oh, well. No doubt. Talk to me about your training a little, talk to me about your training a little bit. Where did you choose to learn how to fly? Was it a 141 school, 61? Did you look in different states? Were you willing to move? Kind of what was your motivations for why you chose the training place that you chose? Yes. Yeah, so, um, my training was kind of scattered all over the place. Um, coincidentally, when I first started my private pilot training, um, my instructor was a guy that my grandfather taught how to fly, no which way. was which was awesome. Yeah, That's it was cool. very cool. Yeah. Um, all these years later, I'm, I've still I still talk to him. I talked to him the other day, so it's uh, it's been awesome to keep in touch with him and 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 keep him up to date on where I'm at in my career. Cause it kind of started with him. Yeah. Um, but that was, uh, that was part 61. He just had a little 150 out at the, at the local airport that we would go out. And I, I trained with him through my solo. Uh, I soloed in that 150 several times and then made the decision to move to an actual 141 flight school in, in Gainesville, Florida, uh, called university air center. They were, uh, affiliated with the with um, Santa Fe Community College, which is where I was also taking classes toward my bachelor degree. Mm -hmm. um, I stayed there through my private and instrument training. That was in a uh, 172 G1000 equipped aircraft, uh, which was nice. Uh, after finishing my second year there, uh, I transferred into Embry Riddle in Daytona Beach oh, as a junior. I did my commercial single and commercial multi add-on uh, at Embry Riddle, uh, and then graduated. I was I was done after that, so um, ran out of money. So wasn't <laughs> able to do CFI, CFII, and MEI. Yeah. But uh, that really wasn't uh, wasn't anything that I was too interested in pursuing anyway. So that's it worked funny. out. <laughs> that's good. Uh, what? So yeah, I've never talked to someone that went to Embry Riddle actually. That actually flew there. So tell me. What are the differences between Embry Riddle and say the first flight school you're at? And just talk about the pace of Embry Riddle. And I, I don't, is it like an ATP style school? Like what is um, what's Embry Riddle about with flying? 
Um, I, I don't want to go too much into comparing it with ATP because I'm not familiar with yeah. how they operate over there. But what I can say from the flight training at University Air Center to Embry-Riddle, um, you know, it was very flexible at University Air Center. I could wake up in the morning and if I just didn't feel like flying, I could call my instructor. Hey, don't really feel like flying today. I think I'm just going to take it easier on the house. Hey, no problem, bud. You know, see you next time. Cool. Uh, at Riddle, you you don't have that flexibility. You you <laughs> there are so many students and so little resources um, that you know you can't you can't miss a training block. No. And if you do miss a training block, you get charged for it. And it's I, I, I want to remember it was like a seventy five dollar or hundred twenty five dollar charge. Is it even if you're sick or up. you have like a legit excuse, you'll still get charged? Well, if you're sick, you can go to the the doctor on campus and get a note <laughs> and then you have to bring it into the, to the flight supervisor and present them with it. But oh my gosh. if you're sick, the last thing you want to do is, is get in the car and drive to the university. Right. And, uh, you might as well and, just go uh, fly, <laughs> get a doctor's note. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, there is not, there is not much flexibility at riddle. Um, I'll say that the maintenance is phenomenal. That's good. Um, that was, that was a great thing. Uh, never really had to worry too much about aircraft being down for maintenance or anything. Um, logistically, the way that they have it set up, you when I was there anyway, you always had resources available to you, which was nice. Um, so it was uh, it, it's a pretty hectic pace. Uh, they expect you to to stay up to speed through the whole program, which can be a little difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I, I mean, I think it's excellent flight training. Um, but you pay for it. <laughs> it's not cheap flight uh, yeah. training, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely so. not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in your training, like private, commercial, did you have any struggles at all? Were there any concepts or flying-wise that just like you couldn't wrap your mind around? Or was it all smooth sailing, would you say? Um, no, definitely definitely wasn't smooth sailing all the way through. Um, you know, I think, I think we all struggle at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, with flying, you know, through my private, I actually had quite a bit of difficulty figuring out how to land the airplane, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So I had to take a couple of extra lessons, um, learning how to, how to land the aircraft. <laughs> what was um, hanging you up with landing? Was it just like staying coordinated or speed or just all the, uh, putting no, everything was, together? Was, uh, judging, judging the flare height. Okay. I would, I would generally and the pitch attitude in the flare. Uh, a lot of times I was, I was flaring too high and, uh, kind of, kind of, plowing the plane into the runway <laughs> just kind of getting it a couple of feet off and letting yeah. it stall onto the runway rather than leaving a little power in and kind of really trying to grease it on yeah. so <laughs> that's funny so it took a couple extra lessons to get that the, the kinks worked out yeah. but uh but eventually we got it so had very patient flight instructors <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which was a blessing that's good that was my next question uh flight instructors did you have any issues with them or are they all pretty good uh i i did have issues with some with one flight instructor through through all of my training, which I think is uh, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, I would agree. only only having issues with one. <laughs> um, we just our personalities really didn't mesh too well, and um, he uh, I think at the point that it was whenever I was at Riddle, uh, I was assigned to him as a student, and at that point he had already accepted a job at a regional airline, uh, so I think he may have just been a bit checked out. Oh yeah, and, he was uh, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he was just ready to move on with his career. Yeah. Um so you know, we just didn't mesh very well in the in the cockpit. Our personalities kind of clashed. But funny enough, I actually ran into him at um the airport in Fort Lauderdale while I was waiting on a flight out up to uh New York. Mm-hmm. And we talked, had a great talk. So it was actually really good getting to see him outside of that training environment. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, was, uh, I never flight instructed and you said you never flight instructed. So, you know, just like mm-mm. doing stalls and spins and pattern work and turns around a point for eight hours a day. Like I'm sure just after a while, you're like, oh my gosh, get me out of this plane. I can't wait oh, to move yeah. on. So I can't blame yeah, I mean, them for being checked out. It's like, uh, let me start my career. Let me move on. Let me do something else. You know? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, I, I felt bad for him because at that point he was my first flight instructor at Riddle. So I'm mm-hmm. getting used to um, I'd never flown the Piper Arrow before, so I was getting used to a new aircraft, new airport, uh, 
new training program. Everything was new to me. So I was, I was essentially hanging on to the tail of the airplane <laughs> on that first flight. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I was, I was completely in the dust and, uh, in the weeds. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that, uh, uh, I wasn't making his job any easier oh, by, definitely by not, not being as prepared as I probably should have been. <laughs> so the majority definitely of that's not. probably on me. <laughs> oh, it's all good. We've, we've all been there before. He's been there before. When you get a new airplane, new school, new flight instructor, new curriculum, faster pace, it's just like, oh my gosh, how do you, you just have to try to hang on and eventually you just start getting it. You eventually get ahead of the airplane and get ahead of what's going on and you figure it out, but it just takes time. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just time in the program yeah. experience. So, um, yeah, but like I said, it was, it was pretty neat running into him at the airport the other day and getting to see where he's at in his career now. That's cool. So, uh, that was pretty cool. What, um, so you are flying for trop. I always mess up the name. What Tropic Ocean <laughs> Airways airlines? Yep. yep. Tropic Ocean Airways. All right. So you're flying for Tropic Ocean Airways. Was that always your goal? Did you want to fly for something like that? Or were you, Hey, I'm going to be a regional, then go to the majors or I'll fly freight and go to a fractional. What was your goal when you started training? When I started training, my my goal was uh, to go to the airlines and be an airline pilot. That was uh, that was what I wanted to do. And then I always had this dream that once I got that airline captain pay and I was making good money, I was just going to buy a small seaplane, a little cub on floats, or or a mall or something like that, and uh, just splash around Florida for fun <laughs> and that. Um, and then once I realized that I could do it as a career. Um, that just, that changed my whole world. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what made you realize you could do it? Was it just running into the guys at Tropic or was it reading about them or what happened? What changed uh, your mindset? I was sitting in a hotel room or not a hotel room, a hotel lobby with another pilot. Um, whenever I was doing aerial survey, that's how I built all my time. Um, and him and I were talking and I was kind of telling him how one of my dreams was to eventually own a seaplane. And he told me, he said, Hey, just so you know, there's a company that flies seaplanes out of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, you know, if you're interested, I have the contact information. I'll give it to you. So he <laughs> gave me all the contact information for the, uh, director of operations at the airline. And so I, um, I sent my resume over and didn't hear anything back. So a month later, I sent it over again. Still didn't hear <laughs> anything back a month later, send it over one more time. And, uh, eventually just thought, okay, well, they're, they're not interested in hiring yeah. me. So, um, kind of made the decision that I was going to go fly for a regional. And within a week, they called me and, and wanted me to come interview for the job. So, uh, kind of broke my, broke my word with the regional and, and took the job at Tropic. Oh, dang. So you were getting ready to go to a regional and then you're like, uh, sorry, man, I'm going here instead. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a pretty easy decision, yeah, honestly. That's cool. How much seaplane time did you have? Were you even certified in a seaplane? or? Uh, no, at that time, I didn't even have a seaplane rating. Oh, shoot. So they were willing to take you on and train you and then have you fly? Well, I part of the conditional offer was that I got my commercial seaplane prior to showing up for the first day of training. Okay. What is the process of getting your commercial seaplane? Because, I mean, I know I've always been interested in flying a plane on floats. I'm sure other people are interested. But, like, what is the process? Like, you get your private first or can you just go straight into commercial seaplane? How does it all work? Yeah, so you can go straight into commercial seaplane. It's all based on uh, the certificate that you currently hold. Okay. So if you're a uh, private pilot and you go get a seaplane, you're a private seaplane cool. pilot. If you hold a commercial certificate, then you can go through the commercial curriculum and you are a commercial seaplane pilot. Okay. Um, same with multi-engine, you know, um, I would, I would have to go get a multi-engine commercial seaplane, uh, in order to operate that. Is that a check ride or is it endorsement? Yep. Yep. They're check rides. Okay. So, um, you know, you go to the seaplane base, I believe it was a three day program. If I remember correctly. Uh, several hours of ground training. You go out, fly. I think by the end of it, you wind up with somewhere around five to seven hours seaplane time mm -hmm. by the time you're done with the check ride. What's the biggest difference in flying a seaplane or say you're transitioning from land to sea and what's like the main thing that people get stuck on in their training and what could hold someone back? I would, I have no experience in seaplane, uh, like training people to upgrade or get the sign off for the seaplane. But I would, 
I would assume that it's probably the landing on water with no visual references of center line or mm-hmm. uh, where the edge of your runway would be or your landing lane, um, as we call it in the seaplane world. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's 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 a little difficult when you're when you're going in and you're trying to judge. You know, you're off airport, so you're trying to judge where the wind's coming from based on looking at the water, but you don't have a center line to to gauge where you are. Um, you know, so I would I would say probably just landing on the water and getting used to sort of that bush flying more, just flying yeah. by feel rather than than instruments or anything like that. So, That's cool. Um, what um take me through all right, so now you're at Tropic, you got the job. Take me through a day in the life of a pilot at Tropic. Uh like what do you do? When do you wake up? What's a normal day like from beginning to end? Yeah, so I would say our most typical day and uh the the route that we fly the most is between Fort Lauderdale and Bimini, which is the nearest Bahamian island to the US. That's about fifty miles east of Fort Lauderdale. Um and we fly scheduled service out there. Uh, that runs from about 10:30 in the morning until 5:30 in the afternoon. Um, our SOP states that we need to be at the airport to start preparing for that flight an hour prior to departure. Um, so I would generally wake up around seven o'clock, um, eat breakfast, have a coffee, you know, chat with my wife a little bit in the morning, <laughs> and then I'll leave the house. I'll get to the airport sometime around 9:30, start doing all my paperwork. Uh, with these international flights, there's a lot of stuff that has to be filed, a lot of stuff that has to be filled out. And we just want to make sure that all of that is in order before we um, head over to the island. So we'll take care of all that. Um, SIC usually goes ahead and takes care of the pre-flight, making sure the plane is fueled and towed and that the interior is presentable for our passengers. Uh, they'll come up. We'll go through a brief where we sit down and we just talk about our, our plan and how we want to execute through the entire day, uh, looking at weather routes, potential delays, um, all those sorts of, of things. Um, and then uh, we'll head down to the plane. We might make three trips back and forth to the Bahamas in a day. Um, we have to clear in and out of customs on the ends of all of those trips, so that's pretty time-consuming. Um, and then at the end of the day, we wrap the plane up. The planes go through an extensive wash cycle. At the end of the day, it's about a two-hour process to get the planes washed and put to bed. Uh, we have a we have a, an amazing maintenance staff at Tropic and an amazing um, group of plane washers that that's that's all they do is take care of that for us, finish up the uh, the paperwork in the afternoon, and then uh, head home. And I'm home every night. Nice, so that's I good. Can't can't complain. No, not at all. What uh, do you guys have dispatchers that file you guys? Do you do all the filing for you? Who takes care of all the paperwork? Yeah, yeah, we have dispatchers, or we we call them. Uh, operation coordinators yeah. uh, within our company. Some of them, you know, um, yeah, they're, but we have uh, about four dispatchers that are up there that are making sure that all of our paperwork is filed for us, uh, log numbers, notices of arrival, all the, all the international paperwork. They're taking care of all that for us. That's cool. That, that definitely makes life a little bit easier when you're not the one that has to worry about all that. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, you mentioned the SIC. Um, are you guys mandated by like the FAA to have S- SICs? Is it in your insurance minimums, or is it just your SOPs that say you have SICs? What's the point, of, or why would you need an SIC with a uh, single pilot airplane? Yep we uh, we have an approved SIC program through the FAA, uh, and it's mandated through our GOM that we're required to have a a SIC in the aircraft. So even if you um, have the max amount of passengers you can't just kick the sic out be like look we're gonna put a passenger in here (laughs) (laughs) no no we can't do that Uh, enjoy bahamas you get an extra night there (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're gonna get to stay here but when you look at it it's it's really great for for some of the younger guys coming in i mean it it made it possible for me to be able to get the job with no seaplane experience because i was able to sit in that right seat with a seaplane captain who has thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of seaplane time and i could just soak up everything that they have to teach me um so it 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 just makes for a really good environment and getting these low time guys in building their experience and then upgrading them to captain when they're ready is it a standard 135 mins is a 1200 hours they need to have before they can be pic of the in the left seat yep yep so uh 12 all the uh, ifr 135 minimums to be left seat in one of our land-based caravans, which we have two of. And then 
135 IFR men's plus we like to see somewhere in the range of 300 to 500 seaplane hours uh, before we move them over into the left seat of the seaplane. Gotcha. Now you mentioned we have, uh, I believe we have 11 seaplanes now. Oh dang, that's a lot. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> IFR. Um, what is the IFR standard IFR trip for you going to the Bahamas? Do they have seaports that have approaches? Do you eventually just go shoot like an ILS at the mainland airport, or what? What happens in a, like a a low, cloudy, foggy day when you're on a trip? Yeah. So um, our main, mainly our IFR flights are in our land-based aircraft right. because they have to go so high for that single-engine power-off glide distance. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the IFR flights are in the land blade, land-based planes. With the seaplanes, the weather's got to be pretty low for us to have to go IFR um, because you know you're out there, you're flying around. And most of our altitudes are at or below a thousand feet back and forth anyway. Oh, dang. So the weather's, <laughs> the weather's gotta be pretty low for us to, to wind up having to go IFR in one of yeah. the seaplanes. Yeah. Well, I think someone was telling me that there's somewhere in the Bahamas, some seaports do have like, I don't know if it's an ILS or a GPS, but they do have instrument, instrument help that will help the plane land. Are there any airports in the Bahamas that you know of that have that? Uh, not in the Bahamas. I believe. I could be wrong, but I believe Lake Hood in Alaska has a GPS approach into it, and I think it's lit at night, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That'd be fun to go into. Yeah, yeah. Being able to land on the water at night, yeah. that, that's that's a bucket list item. Uh, hey, now you know where you need to go. <laughs> yeah. What um, Would you say most people that work at Tropic, are they in it for the long run? Are they in it to build time? What kind of, what kind of pilots do you guys normally look for? Do you want lifers or you just want to have, um, a lot of pilots in the pipeline to keep on passing them through? Yeah, I think, I think with Tropic, we, we're a melting pot of a bunch of different end game goals. Mm -hmm. You know, we have guys, um, who have been with the company for seven years and who have, no desire to go anywhere else. And then we have guys that come in and in the initial interview, they tell us flat out, Hey, you know, I want to get to 1500 hours and I want to go to the regionals. And we see the value in, in all of that, Yeah, you know? So we're not really looking for one type of pilot. Um, we're, you know, we, we do see the value and we understand that we are a stepping stone for some people. They want to come in, they want to get their hours in a really unique and fun way um and you know we're we're receptive to that we understand that but obviously if someone comes in and they say hey i want to fly seaplanes for the rest of my life i want to make this a career you know that always gets us excited <laughs> yeah all right that, cool that, you know we, yeah. we may have found our next career pilot right so. when are you gonna start <laughs> exactly yeah what are you guys so. looking for when you hire sic's like 500 hours around there or what's the the mins for you guys Right now, we've raised our hiring minimums to 800 hours in commercial seaplane. Um, we, uh, we're kind of staffed up in the SIC position right now. So really what we're looking for is people that are a little closer to the captain minimums. Uh, with us adding new aircraft and, and opening new routes and things like that, we're, uh, we're in need of some captains in the company. So um, we've raised those minimums up, but the minimums fluctuate just based on the needs of the company. Yeah. What you said you're adding new airplanes. Is it mainly caravans? Are you guys looking at some other cool airplanes on floats or is it going to be an all caravan fleet for the, the time being? Uh, for the foreseeable future, it will be an all caravan fleet. Um, I don't know if you've seen or not, but Textron is, is in, in production for the, high wing twin engine yeah. i don't remember i think it's called the cargo master or it looks something like, like a that. twin otter 2.0 type deal yeah, it, yeah exactly exactly so uh, i i don't know if it's a joke or what but <laughs> we've heard rumors that whip air might be um also engineering some floats to put on that so if that winds up happening um you know that that could potentially be uh, an aircraft that we would add to our fleet. So there is talk about adding things other than caravans. Obviously, we want to uh, give our our passengers the best best experience possible, and having planes that can fly higher and faster in some situations um, 
you know, that could be useful. Oh yeah. And it's just more trips you can do than in a day as well. So that's more revenue in your pocket as well. Exactly. So yeah. exactly. And but, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I was just saying, but for, for the foreseeable future, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of sticking with the caravans for now. And you guys actually bought a caravan from my old company, right? Weren't you guys flying one from uh, an old priority plane or someone that they fixed up? Uh, we bought a we bought a caravan for, or leased a caravan from Mukalele. Okay, that's what it was. And and fixed it up. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that was the one that I was that I was flying out in out in Nebraska. That wasn't the one that crashed in the water or anything, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, not that one. Or they just didn't tell you that's what happened. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. You know what? Whenever we got that thing, I didn't even look up the end number. I don't yeah. want to know. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Probably best. It's like I just got this thing's just got to make me through Nebraska. We'll be all right. <laughs> Yep. That's funny. What um talk to me about some fun stories that you had or crazy stories that you had, whether it's seaplane flying or flying out in Nebraska with the crappy weather. What are some uh I don't know, scary times or just your favorite times flying? Oh gosh, I mean the the Nebraska stories. You know, you know most of those because you experienced all of them with, yeah. with you know night IFR dodging through thunderstorms trying to trying to get back somewhere. Um, but just the seaplane flying is is unbelievable just having the ability to go out and you're landing this plane next to a huge yacht you know little dinghy comes over the passengers go off they go to their yacht (laughs) and a lot of times if we don't have anything scheduled on that aircraft for the rest of the day um, our operations department is really cool about hey you guys just go find somewhere to anchor the plane enjoy some lunch go for a swim Um, you know so we'll fly the fly the plane you know, find a nice little island somewhere, just anchor off, eat our lunch, uh, go swimming for a little bit, and then head back to the office. So, sounds like a pretty good gig. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a blast. It That's really cool. is. We um we actually last week we had uh, a group. I think it was four or five guys who wanted to go spear fishing off the plane, and uh, so flew them out, anchored. They went off and did some spear fishing. It was it was just an unbelievable adventure. Like the 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 places that you can see and the things that you can do out of a seaplane are just unlike anything else I've ever experienced. What do you see? Do you see a bunch of sharks and stuff from the air, or whales, or like when you land, you're like, yeah, there's like a great white like right there. Don't get the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh, definitely seen a lot of uh, a lot of uh, dolphin. Uh, seen a couple of whales flying back and forth. Uh, between Lauderdale and Bimini. That's cool. And uh, we see a lot of spotted rays. Um, they will they have a tendency, uh, when we're taxiing in the channel at Bimini, they'll jump up out of the water. Uh, <laughs> they'll breach and come up. So that's that's really cool. But we've always wondered what we would tell maintenance if one hit the prop or something. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, like, how do you explain <laughs> that one? <laughs> yeah, uh, bird strike. So, Is there a form yeah. for NASA or for uh, FAA for a, a, a stingray strike? <laughs> a stingray strike, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if there's a box on there for that or not. But uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, the you know the, the aircraft we're flying are are really new, so you know never really had any maintenance issues or scary situations. That's good. Uh, flying for Tropic during my aerial survey days, I oh, was flying yeah. Piper Aztec, and I did have an engine go out on me turning downwind to base. Oh which shoot. Was a load of fun. <laughs> yeah, talk um, about that. What what uh, what all happened there? <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, I was done for the day. I was coming back to the airport. I was shooting out of Ogden, Utah. Okay. Um, so out there, just uh, uh, running some lines up over the mountains there. Coming back into land for the end of the day, and uh, was turning downwind to base, and I uh, just lost the right engine. <laughs> So Naturally, immediately yeah. just kind of <laughs> just kind of ran through the flows, you know, pushed pushed the nose down, radioed the tower, told them what was going on, and uh, we went ahead, declared an emergency, and um, got the plane coordinated. And then turning base to final, um, I had everything on, and it just kicked back on, came back up. So oh, we for landed real? with no with hmm. uh, yeah yeah landed with no issues. Uh, took it over to the maintenance hangar. They tore the thing apart. And uh, I guess there was some sediment in one of the fuel lines that uh, that clogged it for a bit, and then uh, pushed its way through, and engine fired right back up. Oh so. my gosh! Typical aerial survey story. We're like, yeah, the plane's fine now. <laughs> Just go fly it again. It's like I don't want to fly it again. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, on the, I'm on the ground. My knees are shaking. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm uh, terrified, but 
uh, yeah, wound up flying it the next day. It did fly. Yeah. I know. I'm pretty sure you had had a similar situation with a with an engine failure flying aerial survey. So yeah, I didn't have two understand. engines though. I just had one engine, <laughs> <laughs> and that one didn't come back. That one was dead. <laughs> but yeah, well, it's, great job on that. I mean, yeah. it, it turned out pretty well given. Yeah, the I guess. Yeah, didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, aerial survey is definitely an interesting thing. I'm glad you brought that up because. I've gotten a lot of questions about why I chose aerial survey and why I didn't flight instruct. Why did you choose aerial survey? What, what, what did you see as the advantages and why did you not want to go the uh, flight instructor route? Uh, for me, it was, it was part financial. Like I said before, I'd, I'd kind of run out of money after my multi-engine add-on. So I didn't financially, I didn't have the money to go through CFI, CFWI and MEI. Um, and also just the, I don't know why, but the idea of instructing didn't really appeal to me very much. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't really have a good reason. Uh, just teaching <laughs> yeah. teaching people how to fly an airplane didn't sound like much fun to me. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I was just the same exact way. And it doesn't mean that flight instructing is a bad career path. It doesn't mean that it's a bad option. You probably, honestly, if you get down in Florida or a really somewhere with a really nice weather, you can build your time just as fast as someone doing aerial survey. So it's oh, not, absolutely. Yeah, it's not necessarily a faster way to build time in aerial survey, but it's just a different way. And it teaches you different things. Like one of the things... In, in aviation, especially general aviation and the 135 world, you're, you are responsible for a lot. You got to go set up. So you got to get your crew car, you got to get your hotel, got to do a bunch of stuff. And AeroSave kind of threw me right into that. And I got used to mm-hmm. that world. So it prepared me for what I wanted to get out of my future where flight instructing was just like a little bit different and something I wasn't as interested in. Now, yeah, exactly. Aerial survey it can be super sketch, as you know. They do not really <laughs> care about maintenance. They care more about getting the job done, no matter what. They want you to fly in bad weather sometimes when there's not IFR planes, so you you or you're not IFR certified in the plane or whatever the reason is. You just have to be careful and watch out. And I'm sure the same goes with instructing too. I'm sure there's shady instructing operations out there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and from my experience and from what I'm saying, I I. You know, I'm not saying anything negative about people that decide they want to take the flight instructor out. Obviously, without flight instructors, I would never have the ability to be here. Right. And and so I appreciate everything that flight instructors do. And honestly, I respect the the heck out of what they do because I don't I don't know that I could do it. Where uh, where did you fly Aero Survey at? What company? Uh, Air America. Okay. For uh, pictometry out of Rochester, New York. How much time did you have when you were hired? Oh gosh, my, I think I was around 300, 350 yeah. hours. Yeah, that was the same with me. So I think the magic number and anyone that's messaged me before and now you can listen to it on the podcast is that it's about 300 hours that you need to get. So somehow mm-hmm. you still have to come up with that extra 50 after your commercial or if you did at 141, the extra like, I don't know, 120 or whatever the, the limit is for that. But you still got to find a way to get that time. So don't be in a rush to get all your ratings, you know? I know that like Embry Riddle tries to, tries the, the fast paced ones try to get you done as fast as possible sometimes it's good just to go on a couple of extra long cross countries like that money's going toward time anyway and you need all the time to get to where you want to go so don't sweat that too much yeah exactly and you know i think a lot of people uh sort of put it by the wayside but just going out to the airport and talking to people and networking you can build 50 hours just going to the airport talking to somebody and uh you know they might be doing a quick cross country for lunch and invite you to go along. And I built, I built so much time just doing that kind of stuff, just going out and talking to people at the airport, spending a day, you know, day off from school. Yeah, I'll go out to the airport and just sit out there and talk to everybody. Oh, that doubt. Yeah. Go to the airport, hang around the airport, get a mentor, mentor people, just connect. And you'd be surprised at how small this industry is. And another thing on top of that is even if you have a bad experience, like my experience wasn't all amazing at the aerial survey company, but I didn't burn any bridges. Like I still left there on good terms because those guys are going to get a letter from your next job being like, Hey, what was this guy like? Like, what do we want a certain guy around? And we don't want someone that's not like a company guy or one that's willing to, to put in the work. So you don't want to have a bad reputation in the aviation field because if you piss off the wrong person, that's going to affect you down the road. Yeah, it will, it will follow you. And you never know the people that you come across. You don't know where they're going to be in five or 10 years. You could, <laughs> you could take a job somewhere and be sitting right seat with a guy that you 
were rude to yeah. at some point because you thought you would never see him again. <laughs> and um, then all of a sudden you're going to go trying to get hired at a major airline and he's the one interviewing. He's like, ah, oh, welcome. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You never Let's have know. a chat. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just at least try to be cordial yeah. to everyone. You know, you don't have to be overly friendly with people you don't like, right. but you know, just be a good person. Yeah. What um what would you say you learned from aerial survey? Because I was talking about how I learned like just kind of what general aviation is all about. But you're a 300 time pilot. What all did you get out of it? What kind of what what good did you get out of it that helped you out further down in your aviation career? I would I would say the biggest thing is uh, aeronautical decision making. <laughs> you know, you're up in this airplane. You have to make all of the decisions. Uh, up until that point, most of the flying that I had done, I was either with an instructor or with a friend who was an instructor, had more experience than I did. Um, so getting in that airplane, the first day of work, I had to ferry a plane from Daytona Beach, Florida to Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, dang. <laughs> um, on day one. Yeah. And, you know, the company's not going to hold your hand. They're going to say, this is where we want you to go. Get there. Yeah. So you have to make those decisions. And, um, you know, like I said, I, th- I think it was the aeronautical decision-making and, and just building my confidence in the airplane uh, were probably some of the biggest, biggest and most valuable lessons that I took out of that, out Definitely. of that, uh, out of that job and being able to build my personal minimums too, I think <laughs> was a huge thing. Yeah. I learned that in flying freight a lot, especially in and around thunderstorms. Cause you know, freight dogs, you got, you got to get the job done. You got to get out of land and deliver the UPS packages. So <laughs> sometimes you yeah. have to say no, but a lot of times it's like when we're out in Omaha and that's what Josh and I were doing. We were a contract there, two different companies that do um, UPS runs. So I did Hastings, Beatrice, and then Omaha. And it was just crappy weather every single day, day after day after day. And there, there was one time, I don't know if you were actually there when I was during this one, but I was the only one to make it in like two nights in a row. And my company was like, Hey, we need you to get out this morning. It's like, no, there's like tornadoes all up and down the route. Like I'm not going anywhere. So the only yeah. time I ever said no to a flight was a UPS flight. And I think the only reason my company was okay with that was because UPS was like, Hey, if there's even a slight chance you can't get the boxes to this place at this time, then we'll just ship it there because we know what mm-hmm. time we'll get them there. Because the last thing UPS wants is me to divert to another field a hundred miles away. And they're like, crap, now we got to go get those boxes, bring them here. Now all these are going to be late, day late. And those queen bees might die. Like, you never <laughs> know exactly. what you need, to, exactly. what, what needs to happen. But talk to me about your the, experience in Omaha and uh, Nebraska with flying. What, well, what did you well, think Well, I was about? just about to say, I think, I think the story that sticks out in my mind the most of us flying in Omaha was we were, it was end of the day, we were coming in, you had already landed and taxied your plane. You know the story that I'm about yeah, to tell? Yeah, I do. You remember it? Yeah. You had taxied your plane over to the FBO and this storm is just, it is swarming <laughs> over the airport. Uh, I'm right in front of it, right in front of the squall line. I land the plane, high speed taxi over to the UPS ramp, throw all the boxes off. <laughs> Uh, jump back in the plane, high speed taxi over to the FBO and they're out of hangar space, of yeah. course, because everyone is, has shoved their planes into the hangars. Uh, so I'm out there ratchet strapping the plane down, <laughs> getting all the red stuff put on, trying to get the plane secure, got my flight bag and I'm running in and I'm about halfway down the ramp and it just starts pouring rain and hail yeah. and just this awful storm kicks up. And uh, run into the FBO, and you're just kind of standing there in the window laughing at me as, <laughs> as I'm running across the ramp. Yeah, it's um, great. I remember that day. Like, I went through a cloud that wasn't even associated with that storm that day, and it was the worst turbulence I've ever had in my life. I was like scared for like three days to go in a cloud. Yeah, it, was, it was it was intense. Unreal. I think they said the hail was like oh like an inch and a half in diameter, or maybe it was even bigger. I just remember it was like some of the biggest hail that they've had. The Uber driver that came to pick me up actually had tape over his windshield because hail just knocked out his back windshield it was oh, it was a crazy storm i actually so i landed i landed probably like five like not that much before you but when i got to the hangar the storm was 10 minutes out and the fbo is like we're not touching your plane like we're not going out there because it's about to get real bad like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. like they were preparing for like tornadoes like they thought the earth was about to end there and i was like okay <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah that and that's crazy. what they told me. They were like, "You can put it on the ramp if you want to, but we're not going to be out there." Yeah. It's like we're okay. underground in a tornado shelter right now, so do what you need yeah. to do. Yeah, so that was 
that was definitely my most uh, most vivid memory of of flying around. Um, my my most vivid memory Nebraska. out there is probably loading in the mornings and like they'd be like, "Yeah, it's a it's a light load." And then all of a sudden you got like 3500 pounds of of bags <laughs> in there and you can't get the tail stand out and like you can't taxi in the left wheel trying to when you make the turn like the whole plane just starts shaking cuz the plane's like, "I don't want to go anywhere." It's <laughs> yep. just like, "Please don't belly the plane. Please don't let the tail oh, hit the plane." Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, you had a bump like oh crap they would load those things down it was it was unreal and you were talking about diverting while flying those routes it was always funny if you had to divert and then they would send the trucks to pick all the stuff up because there's a convoy of six brown ups trucks (laughs) you know coming out to the airport and they're all they all park around the airplane and it was just always kind of funny to see them driving down the road you know like i said a convoy of six ups trucks heading out to the airport it's pretty it's like a little army of ups trucks (laughs) <laughs> and then yeah, the exactly. worst part about that is so they, the UPS will help you load the plane, but they very rarely help you unload the plane. It's you in the back oh, of the plane yeah. throwing these boxes and some boxes weigh 90 pounds, 100 pounds. And you got to you got to push the, like the weight and balance. So you you got to put those boxes all the way in the front. If you put them in the back, mm-hmm. then you're going to be screwed. So you got to make sure yep. all in the front. And sometimes you park on a on a hill. So you got to push it uphill to put it there. Then you got to ratchet some stuff down and make sure the queen bees don't get out and the ants and <laughs> whatever else is in there and whatever you're carrying. It's amazing what people order on Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. we were out there flying during Prime Day. Yes. So that was absolute madness. So thanks, Prime Amazon. Day. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Kept me flying. I know, right? That's for sure. But, yeah, <laughs> if you are ever interested in flying UPS boxes, you should talk to me or Josh and we can talk you out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is, it is, I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, it is an interesting time and an interesting way to build your time. And it is, it's hard work. It's straight up hard work. So guys that fly Mare Flight and do that all the time, kudos to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, their schedules are not that good. That no. was one thing that I remember flying out there was how terrible the schedule was. Yeah. Um, and so that was my uh, that was my work. only schedule I had the whole time I was flying for my freight company. So I was like, "Oh, this schedule is amazing. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing, it, when I'm going to do it. It's like this is unbelievable." Yeah, uh, yeah. So you are currently at Tropic. Is there anything that could get you pull you away? You know, if someone's like, "Hey, we're going to put a 787 on floats and we're going to fly all the way across the world," <laughs> could that pull you away, or do you you pretty sold on staying down there in Florida for the rest it of your would, life? It uh, would. You know, it would it would have to take a pretty uh, pretty amazing opportunity to pull me away from Tropic. It's not mm-hmm. it's not just the seaplane flying that I love. Uh, I've been at Tropic for about three years now, and um, I've gotten to watch it grow. And I just really feel like I'm part of the family there. We're a very small airline, uh, you know, just over a hundred employees total. So it's uh, it's a real tight knit group. So it would have to take something pretty special to pull me away from tropic because i already feel like i'm part of something that's that's pretty special and, right. and pretty hard to come by so yeah it would, it would have to be have to be something pretty spectacular how do you guys compete with say the mirror flights or say the regionals how do you keep your pilots like what i don't you don't have to go into what you guys pay but like how do you guys keep them there like because obviously working there you're not going to make major airline money so how do you make sure you can retain a pilot for a long period of time with pay and the quality of life and stuff. Yeah. Like I said, we, um, we have several pilots who have been with the company, you know, five plus years. And these are guys who just, they have a passion for flying seaplanes. They, they just love flying seaplanes. It's what they want to do. And so for those guys, obviously we have the, uh, we have what they want in that regard. We're going to, we're going to pay you to fly seaplanes, uh, with, with any of the other, pilots i think it's a lot of quality of life you know you look at you look at what we offer on a schedule uh, you're home every single night uh, which is huge for a lot of people it was huge for me it was a, a major reason why i decided to go with tropic mm-hmm. and and not go into the regional world so yeah you're not going to make with us what you can make at a major airline but you get to fly brand new caravan seaplanes to some of those beautiful waters in the entire world and you get to be home after doing it every single night. And it's, it, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to pass that up. <laughs> no, I bet. If, yeah. uh, if, uh, if it's a passion that you have, you know, if you're just out there looking for a big paycheck, then, uh, 
flying at tropics probably probably not the, <laughs> not the right fit for you yeah but it's cool though because i mean i always say on the podcast that there's just so many different ways to make a living in aviation and this is another one of them like some people might not even think that you can make a career flying between the islands and flying in florida or flying on the hudson river or whatever you guys are doing you know yeah yeah and i mean that's that's something else we every summer we send planes up to new york to fly the east river up in new york so you know for the majority of the year i get to experience um the bahamas and just these crystal clear waters and then during the summer i have the opportunity to go up and fly seaplanes in some of the most congested airspace in the country like it's <laughs> it's it's amazing it What's is that like? absolute blast it, it's it's amazing yeah. like I said, it's it's uh unbelievable flying down the east river or the hudson river in a seaplane at night is one of the most beautiful things i've ever done seeing okay. all the buildings lit up and uh it's a nice nice change of pace nice change of scenery you know going from these desolate sometimes uninhabited islands or islands that may only have one house you know the people we're flying might own that island and that's all that's Jeez. on there is their house <laughs> that's insane. Uh, to to like i said some of those populated and dense areas in the world it's it's crazy but what it's a lot the, of fun. Are you VFR in the East River? Are you IFR? Are you talking to controllers all the time? Or are you just in a VFR corridor doing your own thing? We're uh, we are VFR and we're on the uh, VFR corridor frequency for mm -hmm. the East River. And then immediately coming off the water, we're having to contact uh, approach and tower to get clearance into the Bravo, um, so that so that we can get over to the the shore of long island and head out to the hamptons or nantucket or wherever yeah. we're going man i probably uh, just missed you a couple of days because i landed at martha's vineyard nantucket and all those places in the summertime so i'm sure we just missed each other <laughs> oh, a couple wow. times yeah yeah we probably did that's yeah, crazy we out there we're out there quite a bit but that's yeah everything cool. happens so fast there you know as soon as you're off the water you're on the radios yeah. trying to get clearance and uh it's just very fast paced and and uh it's, it's really exciting it's what's your uh, what's your thought on New York controllers? Do you like them? I know it's kind of like a love hate thing. Some people love them, some people hate them. Are they pretty good, or what would you say? I, I had no, I have nothing but great things to say uh, about the controllers in New York. I mean, the way that they accommodate what the seaplanes need that's cool um, is unbelievable. They're efficient. They're friendly. If you have studied what what is expected of you if oh, you studied sure. the charts and things like that and obviously if you're going in there blind and you don't know what to expect and you don't know how to uh, communicate on the radio effectively then you're going to aggravate them and probably <laughs> not have a very good day um, <laughs> yeah. but for the most part if you're if you're prepared and professional um they're gonna they're gonna accommodate you any way they can and they'll be super friendly while they're doing it so That's i awesome. got nothing but love for the for the uh controllers in new york so any of the controllers in new york that are listening that helped us out the east river <laughs> and all that this year thank you for keeping us safe appreciate yeah, it that's cool that is <laughs> awesome yeah they, they, they have a lot of traffic to deal with so i can't imagine throwing in some vfr pilots coming out of the east river or the hudson river or whatever just be like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's crazy i mean yeah. you think about everything else they're dealing with and then on top of that you throw in you know 15 seaplanes yeah. that are in and out of the east river all yeah. day from sun up to sundown it's got to be aggravating. Oh, without a doubt, 100%. <laughs> All right, well, I got a little rapid-fire questionnaire that I'm going to go ahead and throw at you. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Cool. What's your favorite plane you've ever flown? Oh, Amphib Caravan, of course. What is your dream plane to fly? Ooh, probably a Grumman Mallard. Okay. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm going to get so much hate for, well, I would either say the, uh, shorts cargo plane, yeah, you know yes. what I'm talking oh, about? Yes. I forget about That's that one. That one's hideous. I always, I always say it looks like something that the cat in the hat would fly. Yeah. It looks like something out of Dr. Seuss. Either yeah. that or I, I, I'm not a fan of the Sears jet. Okay. I'm probably oh, going to yeah. get a lot of flack for that, but I'm not a fan of the Sears jet. I mean, jet. I'm kind of right there with you and I, I don't know too much about it, but I've heard, and I'm, this may be just bad information, but I've heard the performance on it isn't amazing either. So. Hmm. I haven't looked at it from yeah. that perspective. Either have I, just, so like you said, oof. it's an uneducated statement that I just made, so don't take anything, <laughs> don't go call serious, be like, yo, Justin said your plane sucks, because I'm sure it's great. <laughs> You're going to need to re-engineer this thing. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I need you to fix this stat. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I'm sure it's a great plane, but yeah, I, I don't love the, the look of it, but it's a lot bigger than I thought I was going to be compared to a, a normal series. 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't even had a chance to go and look at the inside of one or anything. I just one landed at Lauderdale the other day and mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh my goodness. If I was gonna spend money on an airplane, it wouldn't be that one. What's your favorite airport to land at? Land based. Land based airport, probably Cat Key. Okay. It's a uh eighteen hundred foot uh strip in the Bahamas, water on all sides. It's just beautiful and challenging and uh, just a lot of fun to fly into. What's your favorite seaport to land at? Seaport would probably be uh, North Bimini. North okay. Bimini Seaplane Base. That's where we go most of the time. It's also pretty small, a lot of boat traffic. It's challenging, uh, but it's a lot of fun up there. Other than Omaha, Nebraska, what's your least favorite airport to land at? Oh, least favorite <laughs> airport? <laughs> probably Nassau. Yeah. Nassau, yeah. What is, let's see... Are you an Android or iOS guy? iOS for sure. What is the what is your favorite airline livery? Oh, favorite airline livery. I I don't have one specifically. It's sort of a style that yeah. seems to be catching all of it. But I love any airline that goes with the retro livery. There I don't, don't know why. I just I really like that yeah, that cool. retro look. There seems to be a couple of airlines that have a few planes that have gone back to the retro livery. I always, I always think that looks pretty sharp. Yeah, I would agree. Those are pretty cool. Um, would you rather fly over the water, over the islands, over mountains, or over the country? I think they, they're all beautiful in their own way, uh, but I would say over the water. I mean, it's, yeah. what I, it's what I get to do. So, Especially when you have floats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not nearly as nerve-wracking, uh, that's for I sure. I bet. Yeah, for sure. What is one thing you always have to have on you while you're flying? Oh, sunglasses. Yeah, I was about to say probably what Costa del Mar is that? Is that popular? In the um, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. They 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 can tend to be a little difficult with the G1000. Oh yeah, because you uh, tilt your head, you got to see the. <laughs> you can't yeah, see anything. yeah, but they are fantastic for being able to see underwater better. So we a lot of our pilots wear them. I I wear them. So that's probably our yeah. Uh, so if anyone from Costa is listening, we try to get a sponsorship. The, yeah. the pilots got together and tried to get a sponsorship from Costa, but they weren't interested. Hit me <laughs> up. Yeah. Same here. Costa. What's up? <laughs> All right. I got one more question for you. I don't think I really touched on it yet and then I'll let you go. But what is the most difficult part of being a seaplane pilot? Uh, you can compare it to land pilot, land uh, based airplane or just what's like one thing that usually tricks people or catches people up? I would say probably one of the hardest things that I see with, with some of our pilots or our newer pilots, new SICs is, um, determining, uh, flare height. Cause that airplane sits so high off the ground, higher than anything that anyone gets in is, is used to. Um, so a lot of times you'll get in and, uh, the new guys don't don't flare quite as high as they should and tend <laughs> to kind of plow it into the runway yeah. the first couple of times. So it, it definitely takes some getting used to and in our planes anyway. Yeah. Um for just sea planes in general, um, just like I said before, landing on the water uh, without having any real reference that you're used to in the in the way of runway center lines or anything like that, having to kind of pick that point out on the shoreline or or out on the horizon uh, to make sure that you're still tracking straight across the water. Yeah, that all that sounds fun. It sounds crazy, and it sounds just like an overall cool job to have. If uh, anyone's listening to this and they want to be a seaplane pilot, and they're like, "Dang, I never even knew I could do that." Screw the airlines. Screw everything else. I'm going to go apply to Tropic. Who should they reach out to? I know we talked about the minimums earlier, but just go ahead and say them again. Maybe give an email address to send some stuff to. Yeah. So. Um Right now, our hiring minimums are 800 hours in commercial seaplane. Again, those will uh, be adjusted depending on the needs of the company. Um, actually, I, we've got three guys, I think, that have been hired uh, to the company just because they wrote me through Instagram. No way. And, and talking with them, I, I thought, hey, these guys would be really good fits and have, have forwarded their resumes on. So uh, getting at me through Instagram is a great way to get information. 
Um, also, you can check out our website, flytropic.com. That's got all of the information on our current hiring minimums, when our next class is going to be, um, all those sorts of things. So really, the website is, is probably the best place uh, to look. But for anyone that just has questions or anything like that, you, you're more than welcome to, uh, to write me on Instagram, and I'll, I'll answer you as quickly as I can. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate just giving a different point of view of some other things you can do and have an awesome aviation career. So I think people are going to get a lot out of this and just just learn a little more about what it's like flying a seaplane and why you chose the career that you chose. And I think people will get a lot out of it. I appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll run into each other flying again. Awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, maybe our paths will cross over <laughs> in the islands. I know, right? All right, man. Have a good one. <laughs> All right, thanks, you too. See ya. Bye. Aviation, that is a wrap on episode number 48. Thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to listen to today's episode. Like I said earlier, if you do enjoy it, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how you felt about the episode through iTunes. You can email me at pilotthepilothq at gmail.com or check out our Instagram at pilotthepilot. Also, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilotthepilot. We just passed our first goal of 50 patrons. Our next goal is 150. And why so many, you might ask? Well, I am saving up for a new kind of supercomputer so I can do all my editing. I can process video. I can create video. And I want to create just more content for you guys. I want to expand Pilot the Pilot into YouTube and possibly some other ventures as well. So please support us on Patreon. The money is going to go toward a new computer, some new equipment, and some new software so I can make this podcast better as well. Aviation, thank you guys so much again. And as always, happy flying.